Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello. It is that time of the week when we get our gang together for the mothership of our podcasts, Deep State Radio, the original, the one and only in which we talk about what's going on around the world in foreign policy and national security. Once again, we're going to turn our attention to what's going on between Israel and Gaza and in the greater region pertaining to that uh, this week. And we uh, have a great group to discuss it. Of course, at the core of that, as always, we have the one and only Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center. How are you doing, Rosa? I'm well. Thank you, David. Well, you sound full of life, really zesty. Uh, th- uh, <laughs> always. Always. As as always, we also have uh, coming to us from Washington, D.C., Aaron David Miller, who's a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, um, where he focuses on issues of this sort. Uh, he's a former State Department analyst, advisor, negotiating negotiator in Republican and Democratic administrations. Um, how are you doing, Aaron? I'm pretty good, uh, all things uh, being not equal. Uh, well, just the, all things are never equal, contrary to what everybody says. Uh, and the person who told me that first was Alon Pincus, former uh, Israeli uh, consul in New York City, advisor to the high and mighty in uh, Israel, one of them himself, a uh, columnist for Haaretz. How are you doing, Alon? Could be better, but uh, okay. All things well, considered, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 I can, I can well imagine. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit today, looking forward uh, with the conflict and what is uh, hoped for and what is possible and the difference between the two. Um, uh, uh, let me start with you, uh, Aaron. Um, I, I've had a bunch of conversations in the past few days with senior people in the administration. Uh, you know, the vice president was in Dubai. She met with uh, the president of Egypt. She met with um, the uh, president of the uh, United Arab Emirates, with the king of Jordan. She talked on the phone with the emir of Qatar. She talked on the phone with the president of Israel and um, with the uh, uh, Muhammad Abbas of the Palestinian Authority. 
Uh, and she tried to lay out uh, what she uh, and her team call, you know, a vision for the day after. Uh, in other words, she's trying to shift the focus. Uh, and that vision has a couple of key elements. Uh, one of those elements is uh, unspoken, which is that Bibi Netanyahu has got to go. Uh, one of them is spoken, but in code, which is that the Palestinian Authority, uh, which they see as the only vehicle for Palestinian uh, political representation, needs to be, quote, revitalized. Uh, revitalized means that Abu Mazen has got to go, uh, plus some of the ineffectual folks around him. Then there's got to be economic reconstruction. Uh, they hope that the people of the region are going to pay for it. Uh, but I get the impression that the feedback they got from people in the region was not so fast. We need to believe that something actually can emerge here uh, that is viable politically uh, for the people of Palestine. Uh, they need, you know, security guarantees, and and they need to come up with a formula which gets them from an interim solution to a two-state solution. Uh, I've 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 talked about this on. TV and, and social media, and I've gotten almost constant pushback from everybody who says, well, yeah, they're talking about that, but none of that's realistic. None of it's going to happen. And my response to that is, yeah, okay, maybe it's all very difficult, but what's your plan? Um, and, and, and so that's my, my question to you. What is a realistic end game as you see it? Um. You know, I measure my life in terms of what I call administration time, four and eight-year increments for many years. Time is a critical variable here in terms of what's possible. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I can't figure out what I'm going to do next Tuesday. But I would look at the issue of what's possible in terms of one year. One year from the end of this year until our presidential elections in 2024. That is the crucible in which many of these ideas that the administration has is going to be tested. Uh, I do not believe that it is realistic to assume that the next year will be a hospitable one for a fundamental change in what has been disrupted. Number one, Mr. Netanyahu, Alon and I were talking about it, uh, will likely still be in power. There is no mechanism to remove him. The average length of an Israeli government since independence is 1.8 years. Netanyahu reaches his one-year anniversary this December. There'll be a state commission of inquiry at some point. How long it will take, I don't know. Likud doesn't have a reputation of, of devouring its own. So Netanyahu will be a factor in this year, in this one-year metric. Number two, Pithy of the Oracle at Delphi, reading the best of Godin trails, couldn't tell you what's going to happen in Gaza. But I would say one thing is certain. There will be no mission accomplished sign hung by an Israeli military commander on some tank. Israel will be in Gaza next time this year, in large part because there will be no transitional mechanism that can guarantee in any way, shape, or form, in my view, within a year, Israel's own security needs and requirements. Israel may seek to um, sort of um, create 
uh, a transition of its own, but buffer zones will be created and the Israelis will go in and out of Gaza to deal with the residual elements of Hamas, which will remain that they have not taken out. That's a second piece of bad news. The third is that there will be no Gaza first anything unless it's tethered to a broader political process. When they talk about revitalizing the Palestinian Authority, you know what they really mean. Yeah, elections would be nice. Maybe a Palestinian elections could take place in the next six, eight months. I don't see that happening. What they mean is Israel, who has unvitalized the Palestinian Authority over the years, needs to help revitalize it. And the way you revitalize the Palestinian Authority and give Abbas legitimacy is to create uh, a measure of hope that, in fact, he will be part not just of returning to Gaza, but ending the Israeli occupation. And this, of course, has direct implications for, for leadership. Finally, there is Mr. Biden, who in a galactic statement, of which I'm not sure he is fully thought through, basically has said, we cannot go back to the status quo October 6th. What he has outlined for himself in the administration is a lift of galactic consequence in an election year with Ukraine strategy. I don't know how I would describe it, David, um, in trouble. Um, I just don't know if the bandwidth exists for heroic moves on the part of the Biden administration. So I see the next year basically as a lot of great intention and a lot of effort expended. I'm just not sure that um, the hopes, dreams, and schemes of the administration have much of a chance of succeeding over that shorter period of time. Well, other than that, and how did you like the play? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, that's a cheerful note to start us off on. Uh, usually, Rose is the pessimist around here, and, and I'm going to save her for last um, because it's in her contract that I always go to her last. Um, uh, so, Alon, uh, you can react to what I said or probably even uh, better to what Aaron said. Well, I, I could not agree more with everything and anything that Aaron said. I mean, I subscribe to everything. Except for one thing. Well, well, it's not that I disagree. It's that it's the premise of the discussion. If indeed Aaron is right and Netanyahu is still the prime minister a year from now, then this entire conversation is an exercise in futility. Um, I see him gone way before that. That does not mean that everything else that Aaron said won't happen. I actually think that everything that Aaron said will happen meaning it'll be a year of exactly what Biden said he doesn't want to do, and that's a status quo. Um, I do, however, you know, looking from a different angle, um, I think that there, there's going to come a point, um, I'd say in the next uh, uh, four to six weeks, and I'm being generous, it could be less than that, in which Biden would lose uh, patience. Uh, with Israel now, his his Middle East, his you know his Israel credentials, bona fides are impeccable, unassailable, and so he could he could modify and adjust policy to the point that would uh, uh, make Netanyahu look foolish, and then possibly 
uh, um, turn an American plan into an election issue. Now, what Kamala Harris said in Dubai is very important, but that's not a plan. That's that's a sketch. That's a uh, general framework um, that this government in Israel uh, will not accept, does not accept, and in fact, it was already dismissed and derided by Netanyahu. So what I see in the next uh, few weeks is an ongoing um, Israeli operation in southern Gaza. That, unfortunately, but that's that's life, will fail to um, eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, annihilate Hamas, whatever the, the, the synonym you want to use, but will render Hamas uh, um, incapacitated politically which will bring to Israel's uh, lap the issue of, do you stay in Gaza? Now, in the absence of a plan, I agree with Aaron, Israel will stay in Gaza. Now, here's the thing. Buffer zones are going to be very reminiscent, and Aaron remembers this very well uh, from his days in the various administrations. A buffer zone is going to look a lot like Lebanon. Uh, The buffer zone that exists, so-called security buffer zone that existed in southern Lebanon, from essentially 1985 until Ehud Barak withdrew unilaterally in May 2000. Um, and if that happens, you know, Israeli military presence will be uh, um, a sitting duck uh, um, operation. And then Israel will conduct what is an American uh, lexicon called search and destroy missions, uh, um, Vietnam style. Uh, that never works perfectly, and that's certainly not a uh, political uh, uh, solution. At which point, going into 2024, Biden uh, may bleed or hemorrhage, rather, enough political support to change course. Uh, because, And I don't want to get into the domestic American uh, uh, politics, which all three of you know better than I, but, you know, Everyone says Americans don't vote on foreign policy. That's true. Young people don't know shit about foreign policy. That's true, too. The election is only 11 months away. That's true, too. But if enough young voters in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia uh, uh, don't show up in November 24 because, partly because of Gaza, there goes the election. And so I see the next few weeks, the next four to six weeks, as, as critical in Biden either changing course, which I think he should and and, can afford politically, or maintaining this, and I go back uh, uh, to what Aaron said, which is exactly right, you you can't say we we won't go to the status quo ante and Hamas will not govern Gaza and then then demand that Israel restrain itself. If you don't want Hamas, then you can't, you know, it's incompatible. In the next four or six weeks, the U.S. is going to come to a point. I mean, it already is at that point, but they're going to let allow Israel some latitude here. Um, there's going to there's going to have to be a change in in policy in America. As for domestic politics uh, um, in Israel, Aaron, there are mechanisms to remove Netanyahu. Um, they're very unlikely to happen, but there are mechanisms. Well, let's co- let's come back to that. I want to give Rosa the chance to respond to all of this. Um, uh, And I'm not going to come up with a clever question that ties it all together. You've been listening. What do you think of these comments? You know, um, boy, so as usual, you guys have, you guys have cheered me up. Thanks. Thanks a bunch. Um, (laughs) uh, 
it's so tempting to say meaningless things like, well, this just can't go on. But, you know, as we know, things that just can't go on often keep going on uh, and keep going on and just keep going on. Um, I think one thing that is, is crystal clear um, is that what Israel is doing won't work, you know, it won't work for anybody. And, and we've all seen this before. You know, you can't kill your way out of insurgencies. You can't kill your way out of terrorist threats. Um, what you end up doing is precisely what Israel is in fact doing, um, which is creating new insurgents, creating new terrorists, losing most of the political goodwill that was accumulated in the wake of the Hamas terrorist attack on October 7th. Um, and I think that we see that around the world, you know, that the, the mounting protests in the Middle East, which, you know, potentially start risking destabilizing many U.S. allies in the region. Um, and in Europe, you know, we're seeing rising, rising protests uh, as the situation in Gaza for Palestinians just grows ever more, more dire as the death toll continues to mount. And we're seeing it here. And obviously this is, this is the point that, that Alon was making. Um, we're really seeing it in the United States and we're particularly seeing it uh, amongst younger people. We're seeing it amongst younger Jewish Americans as well as non-Jewish Americans, you know, an increasing sense that the tactics of the Israeli government are just, are, are unacceptable. The, the, the human cost is too high that regardless of, of the tremendous sympathy and outrage that people feel about the Hamas attacks, that the, the human costs are just far, far too high and they're ongoing and the Israeli government does not appear to show, you know, they're not showing any signs of uh, planning to change tactics. Um, um, and I think that it's increasingly a real threat to, to Biden, you know, that, that the, unfortunately, right. I mean, the, nobody, I don't, I don't think the people who are critical of Biden are going to go out and vote for Trump. But uh, if younger people uh, and people of color are staying home because they are unhappy with what, what they're still perceiving as effectively a blank check from the United States to Israel, and Biden may say, oh, yes, but I'm urging restraint. You can urge restraint, but if you're not, you know, if you're not stopping the flow of, of money and arms, then you're not really urging restraint in a particularly meaningful way. And if people stay home, it's going to hurt Biden, it's going to help Trump, and that's going to just leave us all in a, a whole, whole big world of hurt. Yeah, no question about that. If the people of Dearborn, Michigan, a very, you know, uh, uh, Muslim uh, community or very the community with a lot of Muslims in it, stay home, that could tip Michigan. Uh, I saw a poll today that showed that among Americans between 18 and 34, uh, 67% did not approve of what the Israeli military was doing. Uh, older Americans uh, tend to be more accepting of it, but as Alan was saying, younger Americans are not. Uh, but let me turn to a point that was raised by Alan, Aaron, um, and, uh, and that is, you know, the likelihood of a meaningful mid-course correction from the Biden administration. Uh, we have seen a number of signs that there is dissent on the policy within the Biden administration. Um, I, th I, th I think it's fair to say there is considerable division within the Biden administration about the bear hug uh, and whether that should continue. Uh, and it was very clear listening to Vice President Harris in her remarks in Dubai um, that the toll taken um, in Gaza thus far 
uh, has has compounded uh, the 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 intensity of the position of the dissenters. Uh, and you know, as we sit here now, that's almost sixteen thousand dead by an estimate. Seventy percent of them women and children. Eight thousand of them. Uh, perhaps uh, children, Uh, 1.8 million Gazans dislocated out of a population of 2.2 million, 100,000 buildings destroyed, perhaps 30 to 40,000 people injured, a humanitarian crisis looming, even as we have seen substantial humanitarian challenges uh, thus far. uh, and frankly, and we're just starting to hear this, and I've heard it from some of the conversation here, and a, a, big, a sense of awareness that for all of that carnage, uh, the Israeli gains are limited and are not likely to change the situation, which is to say, not likely to make Israel substantially safer. Um, all that being the case, Aaron, do you sense any appetite or any possibility that the kind of change of policy is likely to take place, as Elon suggested it must, in the next four to six weeks? I guess the question would be, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of previous crises and the behaviors of American presidents during those crises with respect to Israel. It runs the gamut of Eisenhower's willingness, and he was serious, to impose sanctions on Israel if they did not withdraw from Sinai. That was probably the most egregious, in terms of Israel's view of pressure, exerted on an administration. Ronald Reagan delayed the delivery of F-16s, and the Israelis extended administrative love to go on heights. Um, trying to think of other wartime crises. He had the Liberty incident in 67. The, reassess- you talk about- the reassessment in 75, Aaron. Reassess Kissinger's reassessment, which even Henry would probably admit now, if he could, that that was more theater than anything else. But when we talk about a fundamental change in policy, let's be clear about what we're talking about. We're talking about a fundamental change in policy, which is occurring during the middle of an Israeli ground campaign with 130 plus Israeli hostages still held by Hamas with a renewed focus on the issue of rape and uh, sexual depravity, not just to the hostages, um, not just in the wake of October 7, but to the 15 to 20 women who now uh, remain in Hamas's custody. Um, A fundamental change in policy would involve, I think, a... uh, imposition of a cost or consequence on one particular issue, which is the intensity of of Israeli ground activities and air in southern Gaza. That seems to be the hinge on the hook on which the entire international community, the Arab world, the Democratic Party, everyone and his grandmother, grandfather, seems to care most about. So the question would be, what would the fundamental change in policy really mean? Um, would the Biden administration, would, would Biden pick up the phone and tell the prime minister enough? You must stop your ground campaign 
in Gaza. It is killing Palestinians. It is exacerbating an already humanitarian catastrophe. You've got anywhere from 20 to 40,000 humans per square mile now sandwiched into a quarter of the size of the District of Columbia, less actually. So you must stop. Because that's the, that's the fulcrum here. That is the key. Now, can I see that happening? Because the question would then be, okay, Mr. President, we agree. We agree. Now what? I'm serious about this. What is the what? Sinwar and Dave will be um, ensconced in their tunnel infrastructure. Thousands of Hamas fighters will remain whole. Uh, the humanitarian situation in Gaza is going still going to be catastrophic. The hostages will then be bargained by Hamas in an asymmetrical trade, which will be 100 to 1, not 3 to 1. And the, I don't, I don't know whether I would describe, I mean, the, the value that we should be putting on human life, I mean, every human is a universe of possibility and thousands have been killed as a consequence, what the Israelis have tried to do. But where does this fundamental change in policy then lead? What is the day after the fundamental change in American policy? which is stop Netanyahu, what are we left with? I mean, I, I mean, I don't forget the Israeli calculation for a minute. Um, what does the United States do then? Well, Bill Burns and, and uh, David Barnea go to Qatar, and they now resume negotiations between Hamas and Israel. For, for the release of the prisoners, uh, the pressure will blow for a permanent cessation of hostilities. You went now be freer to surge humanitarian assistance into Gaza. And what you will be left with, and again, I'm not arguing that the present course offers a better solution, but what, what you'll be left with is, I mean, a extraordinary demonstration of Hamas's success. And I don't, unless there's another piece of this that I'm, I'm not understanding what, what, that's the fundamental change in policy. Stop the intensity of your ground campaign, which leads to humanitarian pauses, negotiations, and ultimately pressure building Pressure builds for permanent cessation of hostilities negotiated by the Qataris, to which the Israelis are forced to agree. All right. Well, well, let me let me let me pick up on on, on a component of that, um, because you know Hamas is is a, a vile organization that has committed vile acts. And certainly any kind of perceived victory for Hamas would be a bad outcome here. Um, but I think it's arguable that, you know, Al-Qaeda in, in 2001 was a vile organization that committed bad acts 
that the United States threw its entire weight into defeating al-Qaeda, and in so doing achieved every dream that Osama bin Laden ever had uh, for stirring up more sympathy for him, creating more terrorist cells, weakening the United States geopolitically, expending U.S. blood and treasure, costing U.S. lives, etc. That's how terrorism works. Alon, um, I have to say, it doesn't seem impossible to me that Hamas, in committing this series of atrocious acts, has a similar result. There's a huge cost to Hamas. Um, but right now, the Israelis are saying five mid-level Hamas people have been killed, perhaps 5,000 Hamas fighters. It's a, a, we don't know whether that number is true. Uh, there were perhaps thirty to 40,000 Hamas fighters before. We don't know how many people have been pushed over to their side by the Israeli campaign. And it seems super unlikely that we're going to get to a point where some Israeli general sticks a flag in some tunnel and says, okay, that's it. We've got them. They're gone. Everybody's safe. You can go home now. So, I mean, what's, what's, the, I mean, what's the view on the issue of possible victory against Hamas in Israel? Well, uh, there is a huge gap in the definition of victory between Israel and Hamas. Uh, for Israel, victory is the annihilation of Hamas in war's head on a uh, st- on a, on, a, on the fence, um, and 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 uh, you know uh, thousands of Hamas fighters with their heads up and their eyes uh, covered. Okay, total total destruction, total annihilation, total total capitulation. Hamas, by by uh, comparison, is is a terror organization. It's an uh, it's a non-state actor that somehow managed to govern Gaza uh, since two thousand and seven, two thousand and six, when the election was held. So, for Hamas, a victory would be one Hamas guy waving a green flag, and they won. We're on our feet. Um, and Israel says it can't accept that. Now what? Now, this is this is mutually exclusive. So what needs to be done is to redefine the definition of win, which I think which I think the United States is is capable of doing. Anything that incapacitates, that degrades Hamas politically to the point that they can no, they no longer effectively can control Gaza should be regarded as a win. You're not going to get a uh, uh, we won on the USS Lincoln uh, um, um, picture. You, you're not going to get that. And that general with a flag at the entrance to the tunnel, you're not going to get that. Because you know what? Um, I heard from the head of the Shabak a few days ago, former head of the Shabak, I should say, former head of the Shabak, the immediate predecessor, that if, he, if a free election were held today, totally free, monitored, in Gaza, Hamas would lose. In the West Bank, Hamas would win. And so when you're looking at uh, uh, where Hamas would go, it's like mercury. They, you know, you, you think you got rid of it, but it, it, it kept its form and shape, and it's going to spring up in Jenin or Nablus or Bethlehem or Amalla or any place else. So. Unless there is a, I just I just have to interject because Please. it does echo back. 
that this is what Brent Scowcroft used to call squeezing the balloon. Exactly. When he was talking about fighting these problems in the Middle East. A hundred, a hundred, look, I, you know. You know what the Middle East reminds me of? It, it really reminds me of Glenn Close in uh, Fatal Attraction. The, you know, the Middle East saying to America, we will not be ignored. Uh, with a with a psychotic expression on on Middle East. Boil your bunny. What? Boiling a bunny rabbit? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Like who's better. boiling the bunny rabbit? Exactly. What? Exactly. Everybody's boiling the bunny. I rabbit. don't know who's the yeah. bunny rabbit here. By the way, in the movie, it's not clear if she actually boiled the rabbit, but 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 it's. A- <laughs> Oh, come on. Is there an alternative theory of that movie you'd like to put forth? My point is, my point is, and I defer to my friend Aaron here, is that every time you make a a very persuasive case on how the U.S. has disengaged, disassociated, left the Middle East, the Middle East finds a way to stand up in America's face and say, I will not be ignored, or I won't be ignored. it's the Eagles, iconic Hotel California. You can check on any And it's a game of whack-a-mole, and all of these metaphors come Wait a second. Oh, yeah. It's also Michael, Cor- Michael Corleone oh, saying, yeah. I-, I wanted to get out, but it keeps yeah. pulling me back in, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I, you know, I I think, I mean, I'm, I am I hope that Alon is right and not you, Aaron, but I, I think you're, you're quite absolutely right, Aaron, to remind us that it's not as though Biden faces a choice between tolerating horror on the one hand and, you know, rainbows and unicorns on the other hand, in which case we'd all say, oh, yes, let's have the rainbows and the unicorns. But, um, you know, the, the, the choices are all bad, but it does seem to me that there are the alternatives, although bad, are not as horrifically awful as as the current situation. Um, you know, it, what what Alon sketches out seems like a bad but possibly possible way forward that would not be as horrendous. And, and, you know, will, will Hamas come out of this looking like they scored a victory? Yeah, they, they, they did in the same way. Al Qaeda comes out of 9-11 looking like they scored a victory and that's just the way it is. Right. And no, no matter how many civil, no, no matter how many cities the Israelis leveled, just as no matter how many buildings and cities the U S leveled, after 9/11 in Afghanistan and Iraq no matter how many people are killed no matter how many no, no no matter how many militants are killed um you know there's no overcoming that first horror there's no getting away from it the question is just you know how much rubble how many dead bodies are you willing to leave behind before you before you acknowledge that this you know it's 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 a war of attrition it's not a war of 2000 pound bombs first of all there are a bunch of people who are going Gee, isn't this the time that they put up the paywall and members can't go on, uh, non-members can't go on? And I'm not going to do that. This is too important. A discussion. We're going to give you bad news for free. Bad good news? Costs yeah, exactly. Bad. We'll have another podcast. It's all good news. It'll all be behind the paywall. But, 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 uh, you know, if, if, Merry Christmas. if you think this is of some value, you know, go to dsrnetwork.com and become a member for $5 a month. Uh, we would be grateful. And we know that the main reason people support us is because they think it's of some value and they want to support it. So um, uh, please, please do that. But Aaron, I don't want to let you off the hook. Your analysis is impeccable. It's depressing as hell, but it's impeccable. So I got to ask you a question. If you're sitting alone in a room with Joe Biden right now, 
and you've heard all this and you know what you know, what do you tell him? Stay the course? Or if a change, what do you change? You know, there was a report, a conversation between Blinken and, and Yoav Gallant, uh, reported in the press, that Gallant said, we'll be at this for months. And Blinken replied, you don't have that kind of credit. And I've seen other references to the issue of weeks. I think that um, to operationalize a loan's um, alternative is to deal with the temporal issue. And I think um, it's hard for me to imagine that the Americans haven't signaled already to Netanyahu that uh, the, the clocks, your, your operational clock is going much slower than our political clock. And for our collective benefit, we have to synchronize the clocks. So what is the synchronization? The end of the year, where, in fact, the Israelis could actually say, and this is where the, the issue of the day after becomes so critical. If the objective is to end Hamas's sovereignty in Gaza, which I think is, in fact, the objective, its capacity to actually control and govern. And remember, we're talking about thousands of Hamas employed judges, doctors, public sector servants, lawyers, teachers, educators, that entire uh, thousands of Hamas's and the PA have been paying their salaries via the cutteries for 16 years. That whole bureaucracy, you're not going to go through debathification de here. That whole bureaucracy is going to be employed in some manner in the day after. So if Biden said to Netanyahu, it's weeks, it's January 1st, uh, and then you've got to switch to something else. And we need to start moving now to create the transitional mechanism that will allow you to, in declaring victory, to remove yourself from Gaza, according to a timetable, a withdrawal, a disengagement. I mean, I don't know whether Netanyahu would, how he would respond to that. I suppose it has a lot to do with whether or not there is a cost or consequence to saying no to the president. And that's the real issue, isn't it? And whether we will impose that the cost and consequence. of a cost or consequence. David, could I, could I get five minutes with the president after Aaron? How about giving us what you'd say in five minutes in like two and a half? No, no, no. That's what I meant. Okay. So here's yeah. the thing. I go back to what uh, my friend and mentor, whom Aaron knows very well, Shlomo Benami, the former foreign minister of Israel, said after Camp David, where Aaron, which Aaron attended, um, he said, left to their own devices, Israelis and Palestinians will never, ever reach any kind of accommodation and agreement in our lifetime. So that's the first thing I'm saying to the president. He then looks at me and says, okay, so, so, so what's your point? And I'm saying, okay, it's Potsdam. You, you, offer, um, you offer Gaza to surrender to America, not to Israel. Not, not even call it surrender. Go to uh, Sun Tzu. Call it a, uh, a golden bridge. You set up what is called a trusteeship, a neo-trusteeship. Because the status quo is unsustainable, as uh, Ambrosa said at the outset, any 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 idea that comes from the more of the same shelf in the uh, 
diplomatic uh, supermarket doesn't work. So there needs to be a, a, a complete change of, of mindset. The complete change of mindset can only be done by the U.S. What I'm afraid of is not that the U.S. will make mistakes, it's that the U.S. will say, with all due respect, been here, done that since 1967, we've had enough, we have China, we have Ukraine in the short term, we just want stability, you call it status quo, fine by us, leave, leave us be. Uh, but if I had that short period of time, face-to-face time with the president, I'd say, if you want this solved, you got to get heavily involved. Parenthetically, he won't. You timed me. You're talking about, you're talking about I mean, the, the administration has already ruled out the deployment of U.S. forces right. in Gaza. When right. you talk about putting Joe Biden's arms around Gaza, what exactly are you talking about? U.N. Security Council, you cannot get anything through the U.N. Security Council I suspect on this issue because of Russia and China. But so but if you have talking? an Arab component in it, Aaron, if you have a significant Arab component, say the Saudis, the Bahrainis, the Emiratis, and even the Qataris, um, and the Palestinian Authority, then you sort of nullify China's and Russia's um, uh, anticipated veto. No. I, I, I let me let me say that I I just I, I will chime in because of all the reporting I did around this over the weekend. You won't. Because I don't think they want to get involved until they see a clearer path to the end game. Right. That includes the end game. Why, why does it have to go through? Why does it have to go through the Security Council in any case? I mean, if, if there is a if there is some end game in sight, and there is a you know, regional force that is assembled for an international uh, force, uh, Rosa, you want you want the UN also international, international force, but with heavy regional yeah, no, component. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, and you have the consent of the Israelis, and obviously we don't. You you won't uh, with this with Mr. Netanyahu uh, as prime minister. But 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 again, in our hypothetical imaginary future where Joe Biden says, uh, that's it. This is not a choice. Um, conceivably, you might, right? Yes. Yes, I agree. Aaron doesn't, but I agree. Well, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it, it's going to take time to put all this together, right? Yeah. I mean, in the Middle East. Oh, Joe should start now. Right. So then you'd have to back up the timeline and have the administration have their come to Mohammed, Jesus and Moses conversation with um, the prime minister sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. And you, the you still the original joke includes Marilyn Monroe with those three, but that's. I mean, what happens to Hamas's <laughs> residual leadership and the fighters? I mean. Beirut, 1982, the extrication of the entire PLO leadership and 10,000 Palestinian and Syrian fighters under American and French auspices sail away out of Beirut. It actually happened. It actually happened. Yeah. Well, look, we're not going to solve this here. This has been a very helpful um, discussion. We're going to still continue to try to chew on it. I do want to say this, though. We are going to get some insights uh, because on Monday evening at 6 o'clock, we're going to host a live event in Washington, D.C. at the Press Club with National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. We're doing this in conjunction with the New Republic, and uh, we'll be asking uh, questions. 
And we have set this up so that the first 30 members of the DSR network who respond can attend the event. Uh, There will also be free wine and beer and hors d'oeuvres, if that's a sufficient inducement for you. All you have to do to attend, if you're a member, is to RSVP to our associate, Riley Fessler, R.M. Fessler, F-E-S-S-L-E-R, at trgmedia.com. That's R.M. Fessler at trgmedia.com. And if you're one of the first to apply, you'll be able to go. It's a relatively small event. It is on the record. It's about 100 people. Uh, But we can raise some of these issues directly then. Um, And, uh, of course, if the three of you would like to attend, we hope you will. Uh, But until then, this has been enlightening. Thank you very much, Aaron. Thank you, Alon. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, And uh, tune in to our other podcasts the rest of this week and beyond. Until then, bye-bye.